0: Promo Kitchen is an all volunteer, nonprofit organization committed to the advancement of the promotional products industry through education and mentorship. If you want to get more involved, please visit us on the web at promokitchen.org. One of the ways you can get involved is by donating to our cause. We rely on our community for financial support to help cover the cost of producing our educational content and our networking mixers. You can donate today right from your phone at promokitchen.org slash donate. Thank you so much and let's get started with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to the Promo Kitchen podcast. We are a community inspired conversation featuring boundary pushers, rabble rousers, freaks, and geeks who are shaking up the $20 billion promotional products industry. My name is Mark Graham, co-founder of CommonSkew, and joining me in the co-host chair today is Larry Cohen, president of Axis Promotions in New York City. Today we welcome Lou Diamond to the podcast. Lou can be described as a coach, consultant, master connector, best-selling author, speaker and motivator. In these capacities, Lou is the founder and CEO of Thrive, a leading consulting and coaching company focused on making the most incredible leaders and their companies even more amazing. He has led teams at Accenture, Deloitte, Omnicom, Merrill Lynch, and Bank of America. And if that weren't enough, Lou is certified as a co-active coach by the Coaches Training Institute, a Cornell University graduate, a passionate sports fan, avid golfer, loving husband, and extremely proud parent. And with that, It gives me great pleasure to welcome Lou Diamond to the podcast. Welcome, sir. My
1: pleasure to be here, Mark. Looking forward to this lovely chat with you and Larry.
0: Now, the Super Bowl was last night, at least at the time of this recording. It's February 6th today. Were you satisfied with last night's result?
1: You know, I mean, who wouldn't be satisfied for a game that the first Super Bowl to ever go to overtime? I will be honest. I really feel for the people in Atlanta who obviously were so close to getting what was, I think, their second championship ever, aside from the Braves in 1995. This would have been a big party there, and you got to feel for them. But then again, you got to respect how unbelievable Captain America is in Mr. Tom Brady. So that was exciting to watch. I just feel for the people in Atlanta, it would have been great to see you know Atlanta have a championship. Either way, it was a good game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, very exciting. So why don't we start with Thrive? Tell me a little bit about Thrive and what it is that you do for your clients.
1: Yeah, sure. And you described it great. Simply put, at Thrive, we work with the most amazing people and leaders and help make them even more amazing. And we do this through coaching, consulting, and in many cases, connecting them to their targets. And those targets could be the customers they're trying to get more of. If it's a sales organization, it could be investors. Many of the companies I work with are actually looking to raise money or potentially be sought out by venture capital firms, and a lot of instances, it's trying to grow some partnerships and alliances that really help them with this. So, getting them through coaching and consulting to connect better is really what we
0: do best at best. Right. You were very generous in sending me a copy of your book, Master the Art of Connecting. I had a chance to read it over the weekend. It was a great read, and I was talking to you in the pre-show that a lot of very simple yet very powerful concepts. And one of the things that really struck out at me is that you talk a lot about the difference between networking and connecting in the book. Can you tell me a little bit about the difference between those two? Absolutely.
1: The way to think of it, when you go to a networking event, and for the record, I think we're all tired of the word networking whether it's through social media or your LinkedIn account or going to certain networking events, drinks after work or conferences, or whether you're trying to you know, work in your technology system and get your network working. Networking is just overworked in all these matrices that we're trying to bring people together. If you think about going to a certain trade show or to a conference, you are going to network with others, and that is to meet with people. And that's really... What I think of networking is you're getting to introduce someone. You might see their name tag on their badge at the conference or exchange business cards. You may shake hands and be introduced to another individual. That's the networking. You're trying to spread your name and, and learn to meet other people. But that's not really connecting. Connecting is really more of the way that you want to meet people in a much more focused connection with that person where you're actually learning a ton about them, and they're learning a ton about you. In the book, I take two circles and show together what networking kind of looks like, which to me is like a sale. It's it's a transaction. No different than when I go to the local drugstore and I go to purchase something there, whether it's some chapstick or soap or deodorant. You know, I have a meeting with the person at the checkout counter, and that's the transaction. That's a sale. I don't have a deep relationship with that person. I know that they work at the drugstore, and they know that I'm a customer there. That's almost where I put the parallel to what networking is. You know where that person's place is in your world of defining them. But a connection is more along the lines of what a lot of really great marketing and consulting companies have. And that is that deeper relationship where you really know what their business is all about. You really understand what their purpose is in the business space that's there and what their products are, what their services are, who their team is. And that's, if you think about those circles just tangentially touching for the sale, a connection is really a much more deeper where they're more overlapping and you get to see into their world and they get to understand
0: more of you. That's the best way I can describe the difference between networking and connecting. Right. I'll ask one more here and then turn it over to Larry for a couple moments. There was this concept in your book called the gold zone and so you write about this gold zone in making connections with people. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that concept? Absolutely. So.
1: When master connectors get together, and these are people who really have a strong understanding on how to connect to people, and we'll probably talk about this a little later, with a really strong connecting core, when you bring three or more of those people together, think of those circles and overlapping. The overlapping space where all three players get together is what I call the gold zone. And the gold zone is the sandbox where these master connectors play. This is where deals get done where the magic happens, if you would, where the world-changing ideas are born, and where the level where people connect actually changes the game. One of my favorite examples about the gold zone, if you think about what Bill and Melinda Gates are doing with their foundation, how they are bringing some of the wealthiest people together to contribute for some incredible causes, really, to change the world, whether it's to eliminate hunger, disease, to clothe those, to feed those that don't have the means around the world, They've brought together at this very high level, great ways and ideas to connect. And they're bringing these people together to come up with ways that they can change the world. Great ideas themselves and a lot of people with a lot of the means and funds to help support these people. And that's a true example of the gold zone at its best, where high level connectors are getting together and really changing the way the landscape of the world that we live in is. And that can happen in many different levels in business, socially, the Gold Zone is the fun place that we always try to achieve where things are a lot easier to get together.
2: Great. Hi, Lou. Larry. In Truth in Advertising, Lou and I have had the pleasure of working together and he has really been incredibly helpful to me and others in our organization and we'll touch on that I'm sure as we move along. But One of the things that really intrigued me and it seems so obvious that Lou had worked with me on and others on in coaching. Was listening skills, which seems so obvious, but Lou was very effective in teaching us and some of our senior management kind of the different levels of listening, and I think that ties into what you were just talking about, you know, connecting with people and everything that we do in our business. You want to touch on that, Lou?
1: Absolutely. One of the four muscles that are a part of strengthening your connecting core, one of the the ones that really is essential to connecting to people, is what I call the power of empathy. And we learn in coaching that there are three levels of listening that we observe and deal with every single day. So the first is listening level one, which we do 98% of the time. And listening level one is to make it all about yourself. It's the level where it's just about me. Anytime that anyone says something, so if we're thinking about listening levels, hey, when I listen, do I always bring it back to myself? If you're asking yourself that question, you've actually proved the point, but 98% of the time, that's what people do. Everything they hear, they try and relate it to their own world. And that's who we are. The only people we can control in this world are ourselves. And when we hear things, we have these ears that we use in our eyes and observe these things into ourselves so that we can best understand exactly how it affects us. That's the first thing that we do. And what's interesting is that when it comes to connecting to people, that's the last thing we should do. So we actually have to move further down the listening scale into a deeper level of listening. And there's two levels, which after listening, level one is listening, level two, which is called focused listening. It's a direct channel connection with your target, who you're connecting with. And that is a specific way of connecting with someone to really understand what they are about. Nobody else matters in the world except for that person that you're listening to. It doesn't relate to you. It's not a personal conversation on everything that this person does and how it affects you. Everything has to do with the target that you're talking to. If someone is telling them about their company and what they do, if they're in promotional marketing products and they offer a certain selection of of products to a certain sector, all the questions should be about, well, what sector are you in? What type of customers do you work with? Who are you working with over there? And all of the intent of that listening is actually about helping that person in the way that you're listening. You're trying to literally step into their shoes and be in their world. In focused listening and listening level two, that's the first place that we go to. now, if ninety eight percent of the time we're at listening level one and we only listen to ourselves, this particular level of listening we do about one point nine percent of the time, where we actually are concentrated in listening to the person that we're trying to connect with. Listening level three is at a whole new level. Listening level three is what we call global listening. I like to describe global listening as that kind of that feeling, that sense, that vibe, that you're picking up all the sounds and reactions and the feelings when you walk into a room. Just think about when you have a meeting with a prospective client, or maybe more importantly, you have a relationship with a client that's not happy with you. The minute you walk into the room and they're sitting there, you can feel that something's wrong. They either have a look on their face or they're upset about something that happened. Maybe you ran a promotion that didn't go the way it was supposed to go and the products didn't get delivered where they needed to or the quality had been let down or some expectation of what they were looking for didn't meet up to their standard. A word doesn't need to be uttered and you can walk in the room and you know when something's wrong. And the flip side of that is you can walk into a room when you know something's going great. There's a high energy. There's a feeling of general happiness and confidence in what you're doing. That listening level three is done so infrequently that we only wish we could live there all the time and then we wouldn't need to use our mouths so often. But when that comes in, that listening level, listening level three and global listening combined with that focus listening makes you a much more powerful connector when you're embracing that power of empathy.
2: Is this a learnable skill that people can do every day and become better at?
1: It's coachable. It's actually really interesting. Larry, Larry, I've done something like this with your company and I've done it with others where we've worked with people that really have not been in that listening level two or three. They've been very much all about themselves. Listening level one, some of them are managing people, some of them are talking to other clients or their top sales performers. And a lot of this, by the way, happens to people in the customer service industry across the board in marketing. Because so much of the time we're spent focusing on our clients and listening to them, the really, really great connectors, the great salespeople, the great producers, that a lot of the times we'll be doing that when we're with our client. And when we come back into our own company, we'll forget to put on our listening level two and three uh, listening level, because at that point we're just so focused and our energy is tapped that we're not doing it that much. But meanwhile, that can hurt. You want to have that on as leaders and internally, just as you do externally. And it is coachable. It's things you have to practice. There's are certain exercises we work on, on really understanding how important it is to listen. There's an expression that I learned from a fellow coach years back. We were born with two ears and one mouth. We're supposed to use them proportionally, hmm. and too often we forget to do that. There are certain drills that we go through. There are certain techniques, and maybe more importantly, we start to really understanding how powerful we can come from when we listen effectively. The change that comes in, the respect that you get when you're able to sit into the shoes of the people that you're connecting with, whether your external clients or your internal team, from really effective listening, you start to really manage better, start to lead better. And the best part is you actually start to connect better as a team. And it really, really helps when you're trying to better connect with your customer.
0: Larry, question for you. So before you met Lou, you were obviously grappling with some challenge at Axis whether it was, well, I'll ask you this, but I'm curious as to the challenge that you were struggling with at the time. And how did Lou come in and help you solve that challenge?
2: You know, it's interesting. I mean, we have had very significant growth over the last probably seven years. And on all measures of success, financially, we were in really great shape. But As you get bigger and as the company spreads out a little bit, we have multiple offices, you start to realize that there are things that are just right below the surface that don't seem to be exactly the way you want it. And kind of like Lou just talked about, kind of intuitively, and some people may not be saying it to you, but you know there's something there. And we also knew that if we didn't deal with those issues and figure out what those things were over the next three to five years, we have a lot of growth planned and we have a lot of Plans for the kind of moving the next generation to some leadership roles. That if we didn't figure what those things are and start empowering those people, that we were going to have some sort of, you know, challenges in terms of our growth. And so we brought Lou in to one, was interesting. We had him, we had an offsite and with our entire organization. Part of the time Lou met with just the senior leadership and the senior salespeople. And really talked about this whole idea of listening skills and coaching and as aggressive, you know, salespeople, they're often used to telling people what to do. And we wanted people to learn how to, you know, as Lou will probably talk about a little bit, ask, ask and then tell. So how do we get them to arrive at the answers that are important to them? And then he also met with separately without any senior leadership there. All of our, you know, mid-level up and coming superstars and really got them engaged in a conversation about what their goals are, about the need to have honest conversations, about the fact that the senior leadership team is working on listening skills because that, ironically, was one of the things that they brought up to Lou, which was they don't listen to us. They're always trying to tell us what to do. We have lots of our own ideas. And Lou said, I just spent time with the senior leadership team teaching them the importance of better listening skills. It was an amazingly impactful day because I think everyone left there feeling really empowered. And it kind of encouraged me to continue our engagement with Lou, to continue doing coaching within our teams and working with both the junior leaders and some of the senior leaders on pulling the company better and getting everybody more aligned.
0: I always find it interesting in this frenetic industry that we're in, Larry, that there's so much going on around us. There's fires that you're fighting. There's colleagues that are annoying you. There's clients that are annoying you. There's vendors that are causing challenges. And I think that if you look at all those things that are around us, it's no surprise that people don't listen very well in this industry. And I could probably make the same comment for other industries because I don't think we're unique in that respect. So question for you, Lou. With your engagement with Access, you probably had a pretty good insight into what the promotional products industry is all about. Given all these challenges, all these day-to-day fires that we face as business people in this industry, what pieces of advice do you have for us to try to block out that noise so that we can become better listeners?
1: And it's funny, and and I probably would not suggest blocking things out. I'd almost do the exact opposite. I'd try to really help prioritize what is the main issue at, at hand. It is challenging. You know, the hardest part about business is that you'll have a relationship with a client, and it's very rarely an even pulsing keel where every single month it's the same type of activity. There's always peaks and valleys within that relationship where there's frenetic times where things need to get done in a very quick amount of time. The turnaround is there. The demands become very specific. And you can actually have this view of almost a micro view of just that particular concern. And what ends up happening with that is because that's the only thing that you're focusing on, It is very, very challenging to pick your head up out of that piece, and you could be so into it that you might be ignoring other bigger issues. You might not be really understanding the strategy of the clients out there. The team might be working on one particular task, and they're so focused on the task that they don't really understand that this is part of a huge promotional program, or this is a client they've been working with for several years in a very valuable relationship if they're someone that's new to that team. So to have that almost – I'd love to use the example – And I guess since we just had the Super Bowl and there were enough cameras running around this game, think about all those camera angles that they had at many different times. They had views from above. They had views from that would zoom in to the very detailed level of what you need to do. Everyone in your company needs to understand that you can almost be the ultimate producer in the production room, helping to change that lens. To really understand the big picture all the way from the top and then to zoom in for the specific problem and know when to apply the appropriate need and focus when you're there. And just as important as that, the leaders of these companies, and if you're the head of sales and you have a team working underneath you, or you are trying to get a new client and you're trying to bring them in there, is to have that same type of lens at all times and everyone in the team to have that view. Too often... We just figure, okay, this person is just going to be focused on executing this order. There's an international order we need to bring in because these products are coming from Asia. We need to have them customized and um, detailed to our customer needs. And we're too focused on the task. Yet everyone on the team should understand the importance of it as part of the whole program. And the empowerment that you do from the senior leaders down to the most junior person working on this, how powerful that is if they can have that view. And understand that they're part of this bigger picture. And you're right, Mark. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. Too yeah. often, we get too drilled down, and people don't understand the bigger scope. So, great leaders are the ones that communicate all the way up with those lenses and enable everybody on the team to have that view at any level that they need to, where it's appropriate. So, so Lou, what you just mentioned, and I think it's kind of interesting because,
2: you know, I, I, you know, I know that there seems to be so much concern or I don't know maybe not concerned, but discussion out there about um, you know, and I don't love using this term, but the millennials and some of the challenges the millennials are facing. But I think one of the things you just mentioned, one of the key characteristics, at least from my observation, of that generation is they are looking for the why and that mm-hmm. uh, and not just what task you ask me, do they want to understand why and what how it fits into the bigger picture. Um and I think that's how that's when they become really engaged. And so you know, the thing you were just talking about in terms of gauging everybody on the team is the same types of things that will engage kind of this next generation and next generation of leaders, which is one of the things that we're trying to do here
1: as well. Do you find that to be the the case? Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, you and I had been recently at a conference where we had the opportunity to witness this whole conversation. I think that the term that we were using instead of millennials was this multi-generational view because, Just as there's this focus of the new people that have entered the workforce, there's even people who have been there a long time ago who could be far removed from it. The lens is key to have that view. I think it's also really important. There's been a lot about the newer generation that the words that they're entitled, that they don't understand the journey that's required to get there. I think this is partially true. I think I remembered when I first entered the workforce, and I am not a millennial, when I first came in. You know, we understood that there was a road that we needed to get to. I know Simon Sinek has utilized this analogy that, you know, there is a mountain that you have to climb. And a lot of the millennials are looking, I want to get straight to the peak. And what people don't understand is that you need to go through the journey. That's the key part. But you also, along the journey, you get a much more detailed and appreciative value of what the company's why is. If you understood all the work that went into it, and there's such a focus around the team on how you deliver your products to your customers, and you got through that process as a new person in the workforce, and you appreciated all the levels of what it takes to make a successful campaign run, how to keep a successful relationship, it's really difficult in a very competitive environment to keep your clients for a long period of time. Larry, to your credit, you've kept clients for you know several years, in some cases decades, That have been really happy with the level of service and your young people can only see what they've been for the few years that they've been there for them to have the appreciation of all the work that's gone through the whole history that to me is how they gain a better perspective and how you're able to make sure that they pass that down to the next group whatever generation letter or symbol we come up with for the new people coming in that level of communication sharing that lens and that view on why you do what you do and have them understand and appreciate the effort Is only going to continue to build a stronger culture within
0: organizations. Right. Lou, you write about four concepts in your book that are key to connecting with people, and they're as follows the super why, authenticity, fearless mindset, and empathy. I know you talked a little bit about empathy with the listening example just a moment ago, but can you give us a rundown of each of these four concepts and why they're so important to salespeople?
1: Yep. And I'd even argue. Not only for salespeople, they're also appropriate for leaders and top producers. Just like you need to get in shape in the beginning of the year, I know a lot of people went on some kind of help fit you know, to get the new 2017 off and running. A lot of people drop off maybe after the first week. But everyone who's trying to do this, if you ever work with any personal trainer, they'll always tell you, you need to strengthen your core. This is the same type of effort that's required when it comes to connecting. I've defined it as your connecting core. And to work it a little bit backwards, there's the power of empathy, which is to truly step into the shoes of the targets you want to connect to, a fearless mindset, which enables you to move through fear into courage, authenticity, which is about being open, honest, and coming from the heart. And my favorite one of the mix is what I call the super why. You know, your why is why you were put here on this planet, and your super why is living and breathing your super purpose each and every day.
0: And are you able to unpack those with maybe how each of those can impact a business person in terms of being more effective at connecting with people?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, when I work with clients, I actually look at the connecting core and say, which muscle do we need to work today? What's the area that needs the most focus? And including myself, everybody needs to practice and strengthen these different muscles. And at different times of our lives and our careers, these muscles are stronger than others. It's a constant working. And, and when you do, there's just such value within all of it. But to your point, you know, I think each one of them has their own effort on what you need to work on. Just as we discussed earlier, when it comes to empathy, the two big things there are about listening and really a concept that we talk about asking permission or asking too often will come from that place of telling people what to do and not enough questions are being asked. Great questions lead to great leaders and great salespeople need to be asking phenomenal questions. I love the example, you know, sometimes people walk into a, a presentation and they've got their capabilities deck or they've got their marketing materials and you guys are in this business. You know, you've got your, your promotional marketing world and here's our deck and our capabilities and our brand and our logo. And the reality is when you go into somebody's office at the end of the day, it's irrelevant. The only mm. thing that matters is them the target that you're going to, who you're talking about. And the more customized you make that message, that's how powerful that is. Your fearless mindset, you know, this is a tough one. We are all held back by certain fears at different times of our lives. We would not be human if we didn't have fears, and it's important to recognize them. And a lot of the exercises I go through in helping to move through fear is challenging, but this is the biggest fear that salespeople have. I actually did this survey, and we asked the top... 250 sales leaders of organizations in in a particular field that I had dealt with this was in the manufacturing field, the top 250 companies and their heads of sales. And we listed what were the biggest issues that they were confronting. And it came to one thing, that their salespeople had some fear that was holding them back. Hmm. So what we do to coach those people through those fears is, is a real simple piece to make people successful through this. We first identify and name the fear. Then you have to find the gift within that fear. There's always something in there. I'll use the example, you know, the best baseball players today that make the Hall of Fame, they fail 70% of the time. I think it's very important for people to recognize that failure happens more often than not. And failure is one of the biggest fears that hold us back. So too often we're afraid to even try things because of it. But if we have an appreciation and find the gift that, look, I'm going to fail most of the time, finding that's the gift in that particular fear that we look for. And then most notably is facing it head on and moving straight through it. That's how we move through fear. Just say, okay, I'm going to take it on. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to recognize that there are going to be days I win and days I lose. Salespeople are ones that, you know, there are days they're afraid to pick up the phone. One of my favorite fears, Mark, is that there are salespeople who are afraid to pick up the phone, to call a client, to hear whether or not they won the business or not. They're Hmm. actually afraid to actually hear the results because there's still a chance that they're going to win the business if they don't call them. But is that really true? We know that that's not true. We need to call them proactively to make sure that we can find that business there. These are the fears that hold people in there. You know, pick up the phone. You're never going to know. And my line for all these salespeople is get to know faster. Hear, know is a great thing. All right, I'm done with, I can move on to the next thing. Let me go from here. Those are some of the lessons that we go through in all these different pieces of the, the connecting core.
0: I've got one more that I want to throw in here, and then I want to throw it over to Larry to ask some others. There was a great story in your book where you described this pitch that you had to compact computers. So this was back in your pre-consulting days when you were working, I think, for a digital agency at the time. And they had put out this huge exhaustive RFP and had encouraged all these digital agencies to submit proposals. You guys made it to the shortlist. And I think there were five people that were presenting two hours each. On this one final pitch day, and it was a very unorthodox story in terms of how it is that you won the business. Can you set that up for us a little bit in terms of what you actually did to win the business, and what that really taught you in terms of how to cut through the clutter?
1: Mark, as I continue to promote my book, I'm bringing you with me. You're the best table setter there is. I could tell the story a hundred times. That was perfect description. They were exactly as Mark just detailed. Five different companies. They were about fifteen that had to submit proposals. And the unfortunate news of this was that we all had to go out to Houston, Texas, to where Compaq's headquarters were. Compaq was acquired by HP several years after this. And we got there, and the night we got there the night before, the CEO of my company flew in from San Francisco. There was a whole team of people from my team in New York, and I was the point person who run the sales process. And I will tell you, it was months in the making to get to this particular piece. There probably were 20 to 30 people in the room from Compaq representing all the different aspects of the business, from marketing to technology to internal communications to branding people, uh, you name it. it. This was just you know, the highest level of people in their company. And we were speaking in a room that looked more or less like a university lecture hall where everybody was tiered into the room. And we went last. Everybody had two hours of slots. They had started at eight in the morning. And we were at the bookend of the day, close to four or five o'clock in the evening. And these people hadn't left the room all day. They'd been listening to presentation from all these different agencies. And we'd rehearsed the night before. The whole team flew out and went to dinner and practiced how we were going to present. I kind of peeked into the room right as they were wrapping up the group that was finishing before us. And there was no way in the world that these people had the energy after that long day to actually go through this to have to sit through another presentation of all the capabilities. There was nothing I was going to say that was going to resonate. There was nothing anyone in the team was going to show that would convince them, anything different, because they were done. They were fried. We've all seen what people look like when they're, we've all been fried, where data just comes in and it just doesn't absorb. So we needed to do something different. And I like to use the motto all the time, be brief, be bright, be gone. And what transpired next was a little risky and definitely untraditional. I told my team that we're not going to go through the presentation to follow my lead. So I'm calling an audible, appropriate here after the Super Bowl, and I went into the room and I said, thank you for having us. You've had our presentation in front of you. You have selected us and you know that we are going to do a phenomenal job for you. I'm not going to waste any more of your time having to sit through another two hours of meetings and presentations. What I am going to do is ask you, any questions that you have right now, let's bring them out and address them. And the room was kind of quiet, and one technology person asked one question. They asked the question in, and my engineering person who represented answered it pretty quickly and succinctly. And I said, is there any other questions? There was no noise. I said, with that, we want to be considerate of your needs and let you know that we're ready to work with you, and we're going to be done here. We look forward to working with you and can't wait to hear from the results. We picked up and we walked out. Two thoughts. Two thoughts went through my head at the time. one, I was probably going to be fired. <laughs> I had the CEO of the company i didn 't give him a chance to talk, and he was one of those that liked to speak. you know he didn't understand the relationship of the ears and mouth, and the other piece was that I did feel in deep inside that this was the right thing to do. I was using my listening level three and I assessed that this room was just done and I wanted to give him the consideration and just end the day at that point because nothing I was going to say was right Mm. We headed in the car back to the airport. There's rumors, by the way, that the CEO was using the BlackBerry at the time and sending a message to my boss that I probably was going to be fired. And somewhere along the line on the way to the airport, no one was really talking. My big Motorola flip phone rang. Mm -hmm. Remember those phones that we had? We had to pull the antenna up. And uh, I picked it up and it was the woman who was the head of marketing from Compaq. And she says, Lou, I just want you to know that one of your teammates left his bag here at the facility. Literally, they were so shocked that I called the meeting so quickly, the guy actually did forget the bag as we are just heading into the car to the airport. And so she continues and says, would you like me to ship it to New York, or would you like to spin around, come back, pick it up, and while you're here, sign the contract, because we'd like to hire you as our agency of record.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Cheers. <laughs> Three cheers for that.
2: <laughs> Larry, that happens uh, to you all the time, I'm sure, right? Yeah, yeah, (laughs)
0: absolutely. So, Larry, have you ever tried to pull that stunt before with one of your multi million dollar program pitches
2: (laughs) (laughs) or or, or something uh, similar? Well, well, we've tried something similar, but the results weren't the same. We actually (laughs) were the last in a, 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 exactly, I need Lou, but we were the last in a long line of people making presentations, and we had like the, I'm not kidding, we had like a five o'clock slot and it was like a youth-focused marketing agency up in Boston. And we weren't the incumbent, and we had a feeling that we were like one or two and we figured like we were just going to go for it. So we basically wheeled a whole happy hour into the room. <laughs> nah. And it was great, and everything went well. And you know, ultimately, they decided to stay with the incumbent, which often happens in these RFPs. But we've stayed in touch with them and have gotten business from them, and it was a lot of fun. I wouldn't recommend that for every single one, but I think there are times where it's important to you know assess the room and get the feeling of what's going on in there. And Lou, your sense there was right, that you could tell that they were done. And you know if they only ask one question, that means they either knew nothing about you, which it was a risk, or they knew a lot about you and were comfortable
1: kind of going in. So, I'll add, think, Mark, the whole thing is all about, though, that we sensed it, and that was really highlighting that listening yeah. level three. I think today what I would do a little differently, even though the result turned out great, I would have asked if that was okay. I would have actually asked permission in the beginning to be like, listen, you guys look fried. Do you really want to go through this? <laughs> would have been the question I would have asked today because you could see it and you know it. Right. And that's just being considerate to your client. And the summary of the story, guys, was when we got back and they actually brought the cocktails out and the champagne for us. And one of the the people in the room had said the reason we decided to work with them was that if they were considered enough to ask us and end that meeting to see how we were in the pitch process, just think how great they're going to be when we work with them. Mm. And that's the type of connection you want to have with a client in that type of environment, which is tough to do, but it's an example of how you can get there if you do it.
2: Lou, I'm going to go back to a little bit of the listening because it's one of those things that seems so obvious to me and, and taken in a slightly different direction. And I'm sure this is not something you made up, but it's something that I know that you're coaching me on and others in the organization in terms of goal setting, conversations, listening, and really guiding people, whether they're your clients or people that work for you in terms of helping them come to decision-making process. And use this thing as A-A-T, ask, ask, tell. Can you describe that and talk about that a little bit? Because I think it's a really
1: valuable way to engage people. It's a type of communication, and I started leaning into it before Mark and Larry about asking permission to do something. You know, you empower somebody when you come from a place of asking them as opposed to telling them. One of the exercises I did that Larry mentioned with the senior managers at his company was to show this famous ask and tell matrix. And it highlights really, in summary, that at a certain age in life, And certain types of roles, we need to be told something to be communicated to. Like when we're young and we're dealing with teachers, like, you know, this is how you add and subtract and multiply. We kind of need to be told that. We don't necessarily need to be asked. And once we're told, we can absorb it and learn it. Or a doctor or a professional on how to do something, being told how to communicate, we need those facts. And there are certain roles that are in there. But just about every other role, when it comes from a leadership perspective as well, We are way more powerful when we ask somebody something. You would think that you would come from power from telling, but the reality is is that by asking questions, even if you know the answer or if you don't, by asking, you're allowing and learning from the people that you're trying to connect to. So the ask, ask, tell process really is a leadership and communication technique that we're trying to empower young leaders. And a lot of this had to do with working with the young millennials we were talking about. They don't necessarily respond so well to telling. I could tell by the, the general age of Larry and myself. We've all worked in the past for bosses who told us to do something right out of the gate and we did it. And we went in that way. We didn't question it. It became kind of the rite of passage. And that communication actually meant work because someone would tell us, I need you to do this task, I need you to finish this assignment, I need you to run these numbers. And we would do it without question because that was our job and that was our responsibility. Well, there's so much more flexibility in the workforce today and so many different avenues that people can choose where they can learn from, whether they become entrepreneurs or they work at startups, going the traditional route of maybe where people have learned how to go through, coming from the tell space doesn't work as much. Yet if they were asked and empowered, what do you think is the best way to do this particular spreadsheet? Give me your thoughts on how we should communicate to the client. What do you think would work in coming up with a great plan for our team? When you ask that place right now, The newer generation workforce not only feels empowered and included in this, but we're also benefiting because we get to have them work with us. Now, the ask, ask, tell really is that we can start off by asking permission initially. Is it okay if I discuss with you my thoughts on what you should do for the next year if we're helping to do our planning? And of course I do. I want to learn about this. And then what are your goals for this upcoming year? What do you want to achieve out of working at your company this year? That's your your second ask. And then the tell piece in that particular piece is, well, listen, here are some suggestions that you can do that I think will help you get to these goals. So what we do is we're kind of launching up a way of getting to communicate with people and not just leading with the way we tell. We ask the first time, we can ask a second time. It also applies if they don't do the job correctly. Hey, I'd like you to try to do this for me. Do you think you can actually handle this task and work with this client? Yeah. Hey, how's that work going with that client? Is it doing okay? Any problems over there? We were you having trouble going through this? Listen, I just got a phone call from the client and work isn't being done the way it's supposed to be. Let's discuss. Let me show you the way that we can go do this. Right. That type of communication is way more effective and actually gets them to feel empowered. And if they get to the point where they need to be told to something, they now appreciate it and aren't felt like they've been you know, pushed off. I'm not saying this is a baby method to it but it does empower them to feel more included with it. That's my method of the ask, ask, tell.
0: Yeah, it's analogous to some extent to this book that Gary Vaynerchuk wrote a few years ago called Jab, Jab, Right Hook. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little bit different, but I just bring that up in case some people have heard of the concept. But the whole idea of it is around providing value, which is the jab, so providing value twice, and then the right hook represents the ask. So the way in which he writes the book is all around how to generate business or sales from people. And as opposed to going in with the right hook immediately, the question is, how can you add value in such a way that it puts the prospect at ease where when you're looking for that business, then you're able to ask them when they're at a point where you've earned the trust with them. So I, I like that paradigm of doing two things properly and then going in you know, for the ask.
1: Yeah. And in this ask, ask, tell method, specifically from those that always came from tell in the past. It's really helping to bridge that multi-generational yeah. gap or that work piece so that they can understand, look, I want to bring you into this. You're eventually going to have to have the responsibility. When you ask somebody, you are empowering them to bring their game to it, Think how they would do it. And yeah. you might learn something along the way too, which is also great. And that's what we want. We don't want it just in one directional communication. We want that buy communication flow going between people. Yeah, absolutely.
2: And importantly, I think, if you're going to ask a question, you better be in that focused listening mode so that you're actually listening to what they're saying as opposed to having that internal conversation with yourself so you can lurch out there and just tell them what you want to say. So be in that mode. And then one thing you also mentioned, which I thought was really important because I think it actually helps, is that you know everybody gets to be more coach-like when they're doing this and that you can point out to somebody that they're not actually listening to what you're saying to them Uh, um, and to put them on notice. So it's kind of keeping everybody accountable once you get people kind of in this mode of, I'm going to listen to
1: you better than I have in the past. And to add to Larry's point, that goes either way. That goes from the leaders of a team to their junior people communicating both ways. They want to have it that way, upward in both. And it really creates an aura of respect to improve the communication across the company.
0: I've got a million more questions for you, Lou, but in the interest of time, I've got one more that I want to ask you. And then Larry, uh, turn it over to him for maybe one more question too, and, and then give you the opportunity for the last word so people can understand where they can contact you for more information. So here's my last question. So Henry Ford once said, if I asked my customer what he wanted, he would have asked for a faster horse. Yet you counsel salespeople to always ask versus tell. Is Ford a unique exception to this rule?
1: Well, I guess if you go back to the fact that they didn't even know that you can get a car when they were asked that question, right? Right. And by the way, I love Henry Ford because another quote of his is, fear is the obstacle that stands in the way from your success. And he actually highlighted this, that he knew that if by those that were afraid that there was this wall in front of them, that was fear that really kept you from getting you what you needed to get to. So he's quite quotable. I got to tell you that Henry Sport guy, he knew what he was talking about. It is a challenging piece because he's coming from a place of telling you and specifically to your customers. And, you know, I don't know if this is a time piece and I am leaning more towards asking. I think, interestingly, I guess I do go against the tide on that. I believe that salespeople, for them to come out and tell anyone that they know anyone else's business more than that would be ridiculous. When you're dealing with the masses, he could have been thinking that this is something, you know, that I'm going to be an innovator and come up with these ideas. You know, I do know that whether it doesn't feel like it gets communicated this way, but let's call it what it is. Steve Jobs and Apple, they create everything. They don't use any research or market, you know, any market research to determine whether their product is right. They, they have their belief and they go with it. So they kind of fall in line with this piece, with the way that you're connecting, though. Remember, He's offering a product and he's coming up with a solution. We want to connect with our customers. We're not trying just to sell them one horse or one car. We're trying to sell them years of them coming to us for that. And I think actually, you know, what's funny is, is that Mercedes-Benz figured this out a long time ago, keeping the analogy the same. And that is that they recognize that there's a level of luxury and satisfaction that their customers ask for. And that's what they always answer. So they actually have spun that in a lot of the the pieces of their innovation. We know that our customers keep asking for the greatest and the best and the highest quality of brand that we deliver, and we're going to deliver it on them. You know, Henry Ford did invent the factory line and, and how everything would get processed in a certain way that has changed a little bit. So my message to salespeople, and I counsel them on asking because they do not know their customers better than they do. And if they do then maybe they can ask guests, tell them in that piece, ask all the questions, ask with it, and then tell them when they need to. I think right. they first have to be sure they do their research.
0: Well, and who knows with Ford? I mean, you could argue that perhaps he was incredibly perceptive and had that level three listening ability, as you describe, with mm-hmm. his ability to sense what was happening in the market, to the ability to sense the frustrations of the people at the time, and then was able to then come up with a game changing solution to the challenges that he had his ear to the ground about. I mean, that would be my view, or you could just say he was a tyrant who was lucky. <laughs> um, and, and you could say the same thing about Steve Jobs as just someone who was not necessarily you know, your grade A listener <laughs> and manager, but he was in his own category.
1: I think, Mark, to bring it back to some of the ideas of the book, if we were to do a coaching analysis of the connecting core of Henry Ford. There is no doubt we would recognize that he was fearless, like he's got his fear muscle as strong as can be. He was authentic and had a super why that was there. We would question in today's world, maybe he would have to be more empathetic. Yeah. And I think those are things that we would look at. That doesn't take him away from being a great leader. He just happens to have a unique way of connecting. And if he were to stand today, I'm sure... And I bet you this, that the people that work at Ford received the level of empathy that he would want, because even multiple generations down, people still love working for Ford. It's one of the best companies to work for still in the country. So mm-hmm. something got pushed down onto that empathy that might be more of an internal way of working with people.
0: Yeah,
2: Lou, this has been great. I'm, I'm going to actually leave you with an open-ended question, and then you can take it home for us. The listeners that listen to these podcasts can be... Business owners, business leaders, sales leaders, new salespeople coming into the industry, all levels within our industry. And I always think like you always want to have a couple, and hopefully they've already gotten a few, but like any other takeaways or advice you would give to anybody in terms of things they can take away and just start doing today or tomorrow once they listen to this and make it part of something they can practice and do every day to make themselves better at what they're doing?
1: Yeah, definitely. And uh, it's actually funny because I just yesterday, I I watched the Super Bowl actually with my family and we have an ongoing joke in the family. It's a bit of advice that my father gives to everybody. And what's actually fun is that my son was giving it to my, my son is 16 and and he was giving it to my uh, two-year-old nephew. So it was cute to hear him, you know, deliver this message from generation to generation. And that message is to keep your eye on the ball and follow through with everything you do. My message on that is that keep your eye on the ball is to focus on that task at hand and whether you think it's going to be an entrepreneurial try or it's a well-established thing that you're going for or a sale to a client you're going through, follow through with it. You might not win every single time, but the experience alone is actually going to make you stronger and will help you actually be able to better understand and connect to other customers.
0: Well, Lou, that is phenomenal. Thank you so much for all of that rich amount of information. And I think the hallmark of any good Promo Kitchen conversation is when there's reluctance on our part to let you go. So (laughs) in our tradition, we always like to leave our guests with the last word, whether there's any parting advice or quite simply where people can learn more information about you in the event that they're looking for more education and more resources.
1: No, great. And by the way, thank you both for having me on. This has been a nice chat and I continue to learn more about the space, just hearing the questions as well. So you can reach me and specifically you could look for Thrive and whether you're on social media, on Facebook or on Twitter, you could find it at D. and you could find our website at ThrivePartners.net and also the book Master the Art of Connecting is accessible on Amazon and all those previous links that I just get where you can actually uh, purchase the book from there. And I guess my last parting words, which is ironic after a 50-minute conversation, would be, as I said before, be brief, be bright, be gone. And it's really about being with your customers and have a quick message to them. Try to listen more and talk less. And with that, it's been a great pleasure to be on the show. So thanks, Mark and
0: Larry, for having me today. You bet. It was a real pleasure. Thanks, Lou. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Promo Kitchen podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. You can also show your support by donating to our cause at promokitchen.org donate. We would sincerely appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you.